0: Hello! May I welcome you to episode 25 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynne. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight into others working or have worked in this wonderful industry, as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the 2nd and 4th Thursday of each month. It is hard to believe I started this podcast some 12 months ago, so I would just like to take this opportunity to thank my previous guests for recording the past 24 episodes with me. And to you for listening. The feedback I have received over the past year has made this so worthwhile. In this episode, we discover that my guest began his career in the industry at the tender age of 16, working for his father's company which was formed back in 1971, and today celebrates 50 years in business. We discover that his father was instrumental in forming one of the largest cooperative removing companies within the UK, but left in 1986 after buying the Pantechnican which nearly cost his own business. Today's business has a turnover of approximately 10 million, 40 to 50 trucks, and a staff of 120 with 14 business units. We discuss his challenges, his high points, what he would change within the industry, where he sees himself in the industry in the next five years, and that he is a frustrated sportsman. And as always, we end with more than one funny moving story. My guest this episode is Paul Fox, managing director of Fox Group Moving and Storage. Enjoy. Good morning, Paul. Welcome to Moving Matters. How are you this morning?
1: I'm very well, Colin, and uh, good morning to you and uh, maybe ask, um judging by your, uh, your, your surname.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Do you know, I haven't heard that for years. <laughs> Can you tell everyone about yourself and the length of time within the industry?
1: Yes, I'm a male Caucasian, 60 years of age, just turned in February of this year. I'm married to Cheryl. We've been married and together for near 40 years now, and we have four children, ranging from 37 years of age to 18 years of age. So maybe family planning wasn't my strong point. (laughs) (laughs) I live um, in Abergvenny presently. All of the children have now left and sort of making their own way, except for Karis, my youngest, and she hopes to go to university a little later in the year. As far as the industry is concerned... Dad started a company in 1971. Before that, he was a sort of journeyman Pickford's man, and we as a young family we bounced around the country. He had an opportunity of buying a small valleys company, JG Stevenson's son, in 1971, which he bought for about six grand. And you know, hats off to him. You know, within eight or nine years, he'd built that into Fox the Mover and built a, a couple of warehouses along the way. And actually, where I'm sitting presently ten thousand square foot warehouse was originally it's been extended since then, but he'd built that plus a garage plus a lovely new facility all within uh, eight or nine years so um, you know that takes a bit of doing especially in the seventies and you know the business that I joined was you know hot heavy cheap, and dad was ever the optimist. it wasn't unusual to be starting removals at you know three o'clock in the afternoon and what uh, and what have you anyway for my own part i didn't really uh, enjoy school and I worked in the business you know from puberty if you like <laughs> and on weekends holidays and what have you to sort of fund my motorcycling ha- habit as it was at the time and at 16 you know the majority comprehensive working class town the majority of people left at 16 and got jobs and I was one of those and I was happy to join the, uh, the family business. I started, obviously, as a porter, working a little bit in the garage to get a general feel, car license, taking a couple of couple of A's after my 17th birthday, got me promoted to transit van driver. Through the RTITB, I was able to gain an HGV under a young driver scheme at 18, which obviously gave me a further promotion. From there, it was Fox and Movers, the Mover, same you know, which was just a sizable business with the distribution side of the company as well. And Dad acquired a a business, a long-established business in Cardiff called William Flay Removals. He brought in uh, Phil Gauntlet's son, Graham Gauntlet.
0: Oh, wow. That's a name from the past.
1: Absolutely. um,
0: Gauntlets used to just be down the road from me.
1: Lip-hooking in Hampshire. Yes. But between them, they thought that it would be a good opportunity for Graham to sort of cut his teeth. And for one reason or another, it didn't work out. And at that stage, I was quite happily you know, working between the vans, doing a little bit of estimating, covering the office and what have you. Dad sort of said, well, you know, it's about time you had a real job and uh, you need to go down to Cardiff, you know, which was then a two-van operation, a couple of clapped-out old Bedfords, running from a terraced house. So that was my first sort of branch appointment. I I don't think I was quite 20 at the time. So a very steep learning curve. Stuart Fitton was Dad's long-suffering manager (laughs) at the time. And uh, I relied very heavily on Stuart on a day-by-day basis until I'd managed to sort of feel my feet and uh, be a little bit more self-sufficient.
0: So did that branch that you took over, did that have storage as well?
1: Uh, it did have storage. In the first instance, uh, it had a small traditional store where everything was was stacked, stored, under sheets and what have you. But we containerized that. We actually bought a small warehouse down on Penarth Road in Cardiff we sold the terraced house then, which helped fund that small warehouse, and so we had a self-contained operation then. You know, a couple of Bedfords and a PD, F.T.D. T.D.B. Three uh, Bedfords, which we replaced the fleet. They were modern van plan vehicles, and uh, we added a X.T.G. A Scania to it. So it was a four van operation by the time I finished. And finishing happened when Dad, in 1984, took on the B.A.R. presidency. And as we sort of said earlier, there was no mobile phones, there was no internet, there was no mobile communication, really. And people, when they jumped in their car, they were incommunicado. Yeah, the good old days. Absolutely, yeah. It would be (laughs) But at least nowadays, you haven't got a string of messages to come back to. True. So, unfortunately, um, Stuart Fitton decided to um, return to Pickford's from whence he had come in the mid 70s and timing couldn't be worse but that's always the case with this industry isn't it
0: no absolutely
1: so again i was given a job that perhaps i didn't want and i was brought up to manage Combrant, which was you know roughly speaking eight trucks on removals eight trucks on distribution which uh, you know i would have been what 23 at the time then um so although you know that's a lot to
0: take on at 23 well seasoned yeah and storage as well Obviously,
1: yeah, absolutely, yeah. So uh, yeah, it it was um, it was challenge. Hopefully, I was equal to that challenge. And then we we moved on, you know, as Fox the Mover and the satellite business in Cardiff, William Play. Obviously, we continued. It was a mature business, and we continued to make a, a success of it.
0: So you didn't change the name of the company in Cardiff to Fox the Mover or anything like that. You kept it under its own name, or
1: we kept the old name running. But in the late 80s, then, we actually twinned it. And then, you know, people got to know that Flays and Foxes, well, our competition will tell them that anyway, won't they? Absolutely. (laughs) Flays and Foxes are one and the same. So, you know, we decided to drop the old historic name.
0: You know, and and when
1: I took the business on, Lawrence Flay, Vivian Flay were the, the older brothers. And they were both in their 70s, I think. Uh, they used to help me out with estimating and, and packing and what have you. So they were real old boys and I learned a lot from them, quite a learning experience. Anyway, you know, so we're in we're in the 80s. Dad, although he works very, very hard to get the business established, and he did so in quite an impressive way, I think, in those first eight or nine years, as I've said. He was heavily involved with BAR and committed and that took him away from the business for large chunks of time. And in 1982. Britannia was also largely his brainchild. And it was really generated that idea of a cooperative from the American van line model. And also having a conversation with Michael Gerson, I think, um, because the London companies used to do all of the shipping then for us provincial removers. Uh, He went up to see Michael, you know, asking for discounted rates, please, on the basis of a, a loose cooperative of removal companies, which would like to commit to him. Well, he had very nice coffee, and but he didn't get anywhere with Michael <laughs> as a result of that, they decided himself, John Court, Mike Banks, a few others, Mike Devereux, David Trenchard was a Britannia member, but he came along later yeah. when Pelicon actually merged into the Britannia model and that was at our start you know what is now our Starbridge depot, and the shipping cooperative started there. that gave us a real taste for a sizable business and a, you know a multi-branch scenario and we decided that is myself dad, John Court, Hugh Evans who were Midland Van Lines and Mike Banks over in um, in Lincolnshire to actually merge our companies which we done in 1986. This however wasn't acceptable to Britannia and they sort of said we can't have a group within a group and so we amicably decided to go our own ways we bought the Pantechnican, established 1830, in London uh, a year after, and then we took their name, the Pantechnican Group, for our new group that we continued to trade as, bring yeah. as Jays, as Fox, Tobits, Oaks, etc. But you know, having said that, the 1980s were a very torrid time for us. The Pantechnican was an absolute disaster financially. Uh, the previous owner, uh, Martin S. Smith, wanted to offload the uh, operational business so uh, he could realize on the property, uh, which is what happened. Um, so, although it was very high-end work, profit and loss, they didn't seem to worry too much about. And we you know, we made this mistake of leaving the original management team in place and they lost a fortune before we could actually wow. jump in there and turn things around. Also uh, the two Midland directors decided that working together as a, as a group wasn't for them and um various fallouts and uh and they left uh, which left us you know severely undermanaged as well, so the nineteen eighties and into the nineties were a pretty torrid time, and you know we were lucky not to lose our shirt at some times, but we did have Jay's was always starbridge was a strong business, fox was a mm. strong business, briggs was a strong business, and they made up the deficits which were being created elsewhere, but running a family business largely in a single location and running a multi-branch business is a whole different ballgame and certainly it's a steep learning curve
0: yeah ipad
1: hmm. ipad so i'll stop at the 90s and see if you've got any further prompts on that
0: yeah i've got two questions i'd like to ask <laughs> regarding this in 1971 your father roy bought a company yes was that a removal company or was that a distribution company?
1: Oh, no, it was uh, very much a removal company. J.G. Right. Stevens and son. Right. Dad was working for Lalonde. Some will remember Tim Lalonde and his father, Ken Lalonde, before that. Gentleman removers. Ken used to wear yeah. a deer stalker. Wow. Dad was actually, his position was uh, international manager. And he came across to look at a job on behalf of J.G. Stevens in Pontipool and Cliff Stevens, who... Unbeknownst to us, was terminally ill at the moment. Said, A smart young fella like yourself ought to be in business on your own. And dad sort of said, Well, actually, that's my long term aim. You know, yeah. I want to get back to South Wales because he was a Newport boy originally. Yeah. My wife is from Cardiff. You know, I have a young family and, you know, resources are limited. He said, Well, you, you can buy my business. I said, Well, okay, yeah, I can do. It. And they sat down and they'd done a, a fag packet deal, basically. <laughs> and um, on January, you know, January the 1st, 1971. We kicked off with jg stevens which was i think two pound fifty an hour if i remember rightly was was the was the the going rate for a van and two
0: well not much higher than that at the moment
1: (laughs) (laughs) relatively speaking yeah
0: (laughs) so you mentioned that britannia was formed because of the american van lines i take it was that based on the american study tour that took place because I'm finding out an awful lot about this American study tour that yeah. took place, like BAR services coming from it and stuff like that. I'm wondering now, is this yeah. where Britannia came from?
1: I think the concept of working under a common umbrella yeah. and having specialist departments is something, you, know, you see with Atlas Van Lines or whoever, yeah. it, whoever it might be, on a, on a much, much bigger scale. But yeah, I think that study tour in the 1976, was it? I know many people went on it, Alan Maxted, Rob Barter, I saw his face on it, Colin Chapman. They were very, uh, although there was a big social element to it, there was a lot of business learned and discussed. And I think that's possibly where the concept of cooperation on a nationwide basis, albeit the UK is a lot, lot smaller than the US and therefore is logistically a lot easier to achieve.
0: But I'm finding out that these study tours that took place that haven't taken place recently have brought so much to the industry. I'm now wondering, maybe that's what the young movers can take up and start doing study tours, even if it's just in the UK. You learn so much from going around and seeing different businesses.
1: I'm fortunate enough to have attended several. And back in the day, Rob Sires led a, a study tour to Europe in 1987. And uh, it was actually funded by RTITB. You can actually get grant assistance for it. Wow. Mike Devereux led a study tour to Australia the following year. Mm-hmm. And Nicky, uh, Nicola Mason took one to South yep. Africa. And I, I led one on the basis that, hey, we maybe got a lot to learn from ourselves. We got a very sophisticated, mature industry in the UK. So my study tour was based on the UK and then just venturing across into Holland. But yeah, yeah, they're really great events. And I speak to Young Movers and, you know, it's something that is very much on the agenda for them.
0: I know you hosted the Young Movers. Was it last year or the year before?
1: I think it might have been two, uh, 2019. Yes, we yeah. we hosted them here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that would have been superb to have actually host them and then to give them a tour or your premises and then they can see various things. Ideas will come from it.
1: Yeah, it... It's uh, and they're going to Magimpsy's this yes. uh, this year. Melissa um, Magimpsy is is hosting yeah. them over at Bangor, and I think they've just bought new premises over there as well, or additional premises.
0: Yeah, they've got an additional warehouse.
1: I think here in Combran, you know, we've built a head office, so you know, we have a an IT department, we have an international department, a European business moving as well as the branch operation, the garage, self storage, container storage, um, so. You know, it contains a lot of interest. Yeah. With all due respect, if you just look at a branch office, and they've got 400 containers, and there's a yard, you can't keep 40, 50 people, or I think it was 60 or 70 actually, occupied for very long on that one, can you?
0: No, no, exactly.
1: And I'm sure, and I'm sure, you know, I've been to Magimpsy's, very impressive business, you know, built up by the by the four brothers, and uh, taken on now by Melissa and her husband. Yeah. Um, and I know that they'll really enjoy going there and it's also aspirational as well anybody looking at that and saying you know this is what I want to do with my own business
0: absolutely I know
1: I know that the case you know when I you know I visited Gerson's back in the 70s all those years ago
0: yeah absolutely because I, I love it whenever I go out and, and demonstrate my software and I'm at companies I always it's a chance of a tour mm-hmm. you yeah, it's always good to have a little look around and see what's going on and like I said, you can learn something, but you can also give something back to them and go, oh, did you think of this? Can you tell everyone about your company and the services it offers today? Because you mentioned a few of them there, like Self Storage, European, International.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think probably people think we're bigger than we are. Uh, we turn over, you know, roughly speaking, 10 million. Uh, we have 40, 50 trucks out on the road, playing our business at any one time, circa 120 staff. And probably 14 business units, profit centers, as it were, some of those might be, as well as the branch operations, we've got alternative trading names, which are Chudley now, which we acquired last year. We have Chapman and Cardiff, we have Easy Move over in Bristol, which are alternative trading names, companies that we've acquired, but have just got such strong local identities that, you know, we don't want to foxify them, If you if you know what I mean.
0: So do you then do anything with that? Do you change their livery to to match yours? Or do you just go, no, no, you have your your strong name, your strong brand, and you keep it?
1: We have an alternative brand, which is based on the Cardiff bus colour, actually. We adopted it for Cardiff, first of all. So Easy Move, Chapman and Chudley now have That common brand. And obviously, we can patch that through with stationary websites, so on and so forth. But very much within the group, but they just trade independent of the fox name,
2: yeah.
1: And also, you know, as far as business is concerned, one of the overriding factors is to actually own your own property, yeah. Which has taken many, many years to replace leaseholds with freeholds. Yeah, you know, that's been achieved. We have mortgages, obviously, but I'd much prefer to be paying mortgages,
0: oh, absolutely,
1: than lease rents because, unfortunately, generally, all you get at the end of the lease is a smack in the face with dilapidations Yeah. with owning your own property. We put a lot of money back into our properties, you know, to maintain very high standards, places for people to work uh, as well as as something to be very, uh, something to be very proud of. Also the self storage fit outs with lifts, Mm. mezzanines, as you know, putting that into a loose building doesn't really make any sense to me. You know, you'd expect, you know, that asset to last at least 20 years, maybe even longer. And you certainly, at the end of the lease, you don't want to be tearing it out. No. So the business model is to be owner-occupiers.
0: What challenges have you had to overcome then, Paul?
1: Challenges. There's challenges every day, Colin.
0: Oh, I know that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Some people might call them problems, but we'll call them challenges. I think sort of challenging periods, it's a tough business. We mustn't look. Too much through rose tinted specs because it really is a hard yards business and operation. And like at the moment, markets are buoyant. We still have our challenges, but the bottom line is arriving as it should. And that makes it worthwhile. When that bottom line is not there, problems can quickly mount up. And as I said earlier, after we'd merged and then a couple of parties had fallen out, uh, we made a disastrous acquisition with the Pantheon of London. That was a real torrid time. We had to run very, very fast on that old hamster proverbial just to <laughs> keep, you know, just to keep, you know, and when you're worried about running out of cash, yeah, that's what will keep you awake at night.
0: Absolutely. Many sleepless nights with that. So
1: that was extreme, that was extremely challenging. I suppose, you know, the other period that sort of sticks out, 92 was a was a recession. Yeah, that was a tough time. But when the subprime scenario hit us, we started to feel it in back into two thousand and seven. And then it sort of hit us at full force in two thousand and eight. Fortunately, I'd sold two freehold properties, one in Cardiff and one in, in Newtown, which was attaching to the Woodhouse business that we'd acquired. And we'd sold those at the, sort of, probably at the height in the market, early part of two thousand and seven. So being prudent, we you know paid off our long-term borrowings and we had cash in the bank, uh, and so when we did hit this very very well, it was a cliff. It literally worked just mm-hmm. stopped. The phone stopped ringing. The housing market collapsed. The banks collapsed. You know it, it was you know a dreadful time. But we had cash because I'm pretty sure if we'd gone to the bank and sort of said look you know we need overdraft, we need additional funding, Barclays who were with at the moment would have said. No, sorry, nothing we can do. We're we're in a mess ourselves. And also, that, you know, we've acquired businesses, always looked at opportunities you want over the years. But at, at that time as well, we were on the receiving end of that We're clockwork in the guise of Courtney Morrison, you know, picked up the phone and sort of said, Are you for sale? And we said, <laughs> well, I said, Everything's got its price, Courtney.
0: Courtney phones everybody, bless
1: yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, 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 we ended up selling him. Um, our two northern branches in Preston and Lincoln, yeah, and also uh he wanted included in the deal our small operation that we had in windsor yeah and um you know hopefully for us anyway, that was a positive move, and that allowed us to obviously introduce more cash into the business and you know retrench ready to go again as the markets did reflate in two thousand nine uh two thousand ten, and of course, this covid oh <laughs> which is something again, beyond almost like a wartime experience. that we remember that March 23rd, I think it was, addressed by Boris Johnson, where it said, you must go home, you must close down. Yep. And, you know, obviously we were in full flight at that stage. So we had to go in the following day, you know, start winding the removal operation down by the end of the week. We kept the offices open. We kept the self-stores open just on a skeleton staff. We learned a new word, furlough, didn't we? you know, which saves our staff and saved jobs. It really, Absolutely. It really did end the business. But it just went, in terms of communication, you know, with our peers, with VAR, it just went ballistic. Yeah, I serve on board of directors, led by Instad, and we met every day. We put together, I, I think we were instrumental in getting the, um, the housing market back into operation with VAR and stakeholder groups, with conveyancers and estate agents yep. and what have you. We put in protocols, things which, you know, face masks, hand sanitizing, yeah. taking temperatures, you know, social distancing, they're part of life now, aren't they? But they weren't in March and April of last year. And I think as a result of this proactive work we done, the government were willing to allow that sector to reopen. And remarkably, you know, we had a very good year. It turned out, although we lost two months of trading, essentially, because we didn't get back reopened until the 20th of May we had a very positive year we did have to make some cutbacks redundancies what have you because we were expecting a much much tougher time as it turned out as the year progressed it got more and more positive and this year has been boom time frankly but we need to be careful because you know what comes after a boom don't you
0: (laughs) Well, I was made aware of that by Mr. Bartop a few weeks ago, well, a couple of months ago on the podcast, yes. We're fully aware of what follows a boom, which worries me for July and August. Mm -hmm. How are you finding July and August then, Paul? Well,
1: we'll get through June first of all, shall we? Um, (laughs) But um, I think the the housing market, notwithstanding the um, stamp duty reliefs, has got a lot of pace and there's a lot of demand in there. And I don't think it's going to, it's not going to go south anytime soon. There's a lot of demand, there's a lot of buyers, and I believe we can look forward. In this industry, you can't look too far forward, but I think, you know, we can all be confident that 2021 is going to be quite positive. It might quiet up toward the end of the year, but then we've had an exceptional first quarter to make up for it.
0: Do you think the public's perception may have changed in the last twelve months then with COVID and the removal industry and that how professional the guys have, have become and, and now it's a time for us to make some proper money for a change?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. You know, hopefully the younger generation in, in our business is represented by my sons in from a family perspective and also them as becoming senior directors in the company. And also generally at sixty I'm a bit of the, bit of an elder statesman. So most of our team are quite useful. And I do hope that they'll keep this momentum going and also these margins going so we yeah. get a reasonable reward. And we don't go back to doing work on a cost basis or quite often cost negative basis just to keep the wheels moving and yeah. the paid and what have you. It's a race to the bottom. And we've shown, as you just alluded to, We've shown that we can achieve, you know, reasonable prices. Also, operationally, the guys are not prepared to do the hours that they used to. So we've got to be more realistic and more understanding of, you know, our manual staff's needs, work-life balance.
2: Absolutely. Call it
1: what you will. You know, when I started, all of our guys worked 60 hours a week, week in, week out. Yep. That is reduced by 10, 15 some people don't work overtime at all. Um, they're quite happy to park up at four o'clock and tomorrow's another day. You know, frankly, seven or eight hours moving furniture is probably enough.
2: i don't. <laughs> <laughs> If you could change
1: anything from your past, what would it be? I think I'd get myself an education. I feel I missed out, you know, not doing A-levels, not going to university. You know, just that learning process. It's not a regret. It's just an observation.
0: What have your children done, if you don't mind me asking? Have they gone to college, university, and then coming into the business? Or have they come directly into the business like you did?
1: Like Myself and my wife, Cheryl, hopefully have guided our children quite successfully. Sam, my oldest daughter, is a singer, as a musician, as uh, an actor. Uh, she's of the arts. She went to Birmingham University. Right. She'll never be a remover. <laughs> the boys, Daniel and Michael, also went to university. But as you know, I've now joined me in the business. And Karis, my younger, is hoping to take up a position in Cardiff to do um, accounts and finance. So she may be one for the future. I I need to keep my eye on her, (laughs) possibly see if I can recruit her in the future to come.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Karis now has finished school, such as it is. You know, she helped. You know, I'm very much a believer in, uh, in earning your own pocket money. You know, she's working at the branches self-storage offices on, on a Saturday and what have you. And as of all of the children, uh, my wife, you know, looks after sales down in Cardiff. I have to say that she's supported me all of these years. And especially when we had a young family, I couldn't have put in the hours and put in the commitment without her at home, you know, running the family and keeping everything together. As a result of that, I think she's quite keen to maintain a place of work and uh, pay a little bit of catch up on that.
0: <laughs> so what is your high point of being within the industry
2: um i think there are there are several high points
1: i'll mention VAR first i mentioned education BAR, you know has been my university yeah you know i've done all of the all of the trade examinations you know which obviously you know be professionally qualified with international cpc and uh all of the institute examinations, as they were there, through study tours, uh, through involvement with national council, for instance, I've sat continually uh, I've chaired it twice. this is my second time of chairing it, you know right back to David Muir from Abel's. I, I sort of slotted in after him after he departed these shores and went to America. So that was that that's nearly thirty years. Um, so wow. uh, I've served continually on that council for you know circa thirty years. You know I've chaired the Institute. Uh, as it was then and maybe BAR has taken a lot of my time uh, but I think I've got a lot out and I think my company more importantly benefits enormously uh, as far as that's concerned.
0: So with with regards to the BAR yeah and, and that being classed as your education as such is that then because of the time spent with fellow removers off record at the start we mentioned how friendly the industry is is that bouncing ideas of fellow removers?
1: Well, I do think I do think so. Yeah, I mean, you, you you look at other people, uh, you look at other businesses, how they do it. You share problems, yeah. and you become you know we are genuinely friends. I mean, myself, Cheryl, Trish, Rob, Barter, because we're able to now. He lives us 30 miles away. We'll have a meal, you know, socially on um, on, on Friday night. Um, so we are genuinely friends. We we talk business all of the time, but you know. <laughs> um, you know that and Rob wouldn't be Rob if he if he if he wasn't talking business. To um, but we do. I mean, this is a very complex business. People don't realize no. just how much complexity goes into you know running a removal business. Yeah. And this year, you know, you you've got Brexit to negotiate, and BAR keep abreast of all of this via its member participation. Problems are disseminated and they're dealt with, and solutions are brought forward for the membership. And it's an association. Obviously, I'm a fan. It's an association that we can really be proud of. So I suppose High Point was being asked to take up the presidency, which I did in 2004. I saw Mark Chudley uh, having the chain of office presented to him by Ian Palmer yesterday. I do remember 2004, having Annie Neave pass the chain of office to me. Where was
0: that, Paul? Sorry for interrupting. Where was that?
1: That was Celtic Manor.
0: I thought it was. I was, was going to say, that it has to be Celtic Manor. Which, yeah.
1: again, was on home turf, which makes it even more special. Absolutely. But you would have thought that had been the high point for my family on that particular day. Well, it wasn't. My family weren't there because Karis was one year old. and <laughs> Everybody was away at her party. Everybody <laughs> was away at her party, party instead. So,
0: Should have had the birthday party at the Celtic Manor. Uh, we did,
1: uh, yeah, we, we, I, I think they might have actually. Yeah,
0: so, I remember that conference. That was a damn good conference. That two thousand four. It, yeah. it
1: was yes, but again, you know, high points. Actually, eventually getting hold of all of the shares of the business and becoming the yeah. becoming the owner uh, was certainly something that which it's a mark in time, and also actually building building premises, opening new premises, refurbishing what have you. Yeah, actually seeing that formation, that all coming to fruition and creating a new depot is hmm. quite a journey and I think quite an achievement at the end of it. But that, that is certainly a high point. And um, uh, I'm probably not finished on that yet anyway. <laughs> good. We maybe got a development or two left.
0: Good, good, good.
1: In my span anyway.
0: So as you mentioned, you've been involved in BAR matters, obviously presidency on the National Council, etc, etc. What other things have you been involved with with the BAR?
1: You know, what What haven't I been involved in? I mean, well, exactly. <laughs> it, 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 it's, uh, you know, I, again, my memory stretches back a long way. I first became area chairman in the South Wales area. But there were a lot more companies around then. Um, yeah. You mentioned it earlier about, um, you know, what would you change? Well, you can't change circumstances. No. And in the 80s, there were a lot more removal companies, you know, proper removal companies, not people with three and a half tonners, but people with Pantechnicans. Newport alone, there were two companies called Taylor, you know, Roy Herbert, Pickford's were there. It was a really competitive scenario. Those companies don't exist anymore. I mean, in fact, the South Wales area just consists of three or four companies now. Yeah. But as far as BAR is concerned, from area secretary, area chairman, we continue to work on issues as they arrive um, now. So it's the whole shooting match, really, uh, as far as it's concerned. I haven't strayed much into the uh, overseas group or the commercial moving group because other people in my organisation, uh, Stephen Denning, yeah. many years served on the overseas group council, and you know that was his area, and quite happy that our voice was heard there and information as it came back, and likewise with the commercial group as well.
0: Yeah. So, what one thing would you change within the moving industry? You have a magic wand now, Paul.
1: Have magic wand. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, one thing as I just alluded to before is people can describe themselves and fashion themselves as a removal company nowadays just with a website, and it's a low entry. You know, anybody you know with a three and a half ton van can call themselves a removal company. That may be changing. You know, three-and-a-half-ton vans are anathema to me, frankly. They're not removal vans. They're often overloaded. They're not sufficient to do the job. Households now have far more. When I started, three-bedroom semi, yes, no problem. That'll go. That'll probably go into three containers. It's five, six, seven containers now for that. Because hoarders. Because people got more stuff. They got more tellies. <laughs> they got more stuff in the, in the garage carriages are not for cars anymore, they're for storing. So turning up with a three and a half ton van or even two three and a half ton vans to do removal doesn't help us at all. But we might see legislation change that with uh, European Union insisting that vehicles over two and a half ton gross vehicle weight will now have to be registered, i.e. included on an operator's license in our case. And um, I think these big box three and a half tonners, some of which are ridiculous size, 700, 800 cubic feet, will perhaps come into the sort of scrutiny which is needed for commercial vehicle operators, i.e. the operating license system traffic commissioners.
0: But do you not think they have a place in the industry because we have such a big shortage of drivers right now?
1: That is true. Right at this point in time, as has been said by many people now, it's a perfect storm, isn't it? Yeah. Eastern Europeans went home. Uh, we haven't done any testing with state yeah. drivers for the last year or so. What was 50,000 vacancies have now become 75,000 vacancies in the industry. And, you know, we are woefully short, not just in our industry, but all over. Yeah. So it's a means to an end. But two, three and a half tonners don't make an 18 tonner. As you know, I have a particular interest in, uh, you know, our heritage and our removal vehicles. And right back from Victorian times mm-hmm. we were recognized as professionals because we had the horse drawn Pantechnican, thus named from the Pantechnican company that I mentioned yep. earlier. We've had coach built vehicles all the way through, companies like Unifan Bodies and SBR and what have you, they create these specialist vehicles for us. And that's what people want. You know, when they've got their three, four, five bedroom house. You don't want a couple of transits turned up because they can't do the job. It can do the job, but very inefficiently and quite often illegally and dangerously.
0: What advice would you give to yourself just starting out in the industry again? You know,
1: it's difficult to look back, isn't it? Because, you know, circumstances and the wisdom that hopefully I've acquired over these years. Well, that just wasn't available, was it? But we did work very hard, overly hard for not enough reward. Yeah. You know, we pushed ourselves hard, we pushed our men hard, we worked at timescales, you know, which wouldn't be acceptable nowadays. So I think we all, as an industry, and it's not just me, because we were just following on with everybody else. We don't have uh, a dominant Pickford's anymore. In my day, when we started, we had a dominant Pickford's and you couldn't touch them for distance work. And, you know, that was the common denominator. They had 700 vehicles on the road uh, in their heyday, and they took a bit of competing with it. And dare I say, you know, the prices were forced down. Hmm. The standard was set there. But yes, I I think um, the expression is busy fools, isn't it?
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: You know, work smarter, not harder. (laughs) To cap it off, maybe.
0: Absolutely. So where do you see yourself in the industry in the next five years?
1: Well, as I say, I, I'm sixty years of age, so um I'm I'm not getting any younger. But you know, the work life balance, you know, comes into the question. I still come to work every day, I still work do a good day, and nowadays emails and mobile communication follow you everywhere. And yeah. that is, you know, something which is you know needs to be controlled because we're too willing to take that call, to take that email. But um I I don't see myself retiring my dad got to 60 and said right you are then that's me i'm done i'm out of here you you know (laughs) i remember it well on new year's eve i wish you well i think you'll fail uh they were (laughs) they were were parting words a little bit of reverse psychology because that was you know i'm not going to be that person as far as the business is concerned i've secured the property whilst i draw breath i will always be a landlord if nothing else but In fairness to my sons and the team that they have assembled around them, I need to pass control, responsibility, shares even, so they can be masters of their own destiny as I sort of move on and hopefully do less and less until eventually I'm not needed anymore.
0: Well, I quote from the Removals and Storage magazine, you may get my shares, but you'll never get my retirement notice. All right,
1: there go. Well, at, least, at least I'm consistent. There we go.
0: <laughs> so where do you see the industry in the next five years? I mean, obviously, you mentioned the three and a half tonners. Do we think that will happen? Regulation on those?
1: I, I hope so. Um, but it is up to the younger generation to be professional and to develop their businesses. And not be content to just follow a downward spiral and lowest common denominator, which is your man and van. You know, we're better than that. And we need to, you know, invest in our facilities, invest in our vehicles, our pantechnicums. Because, you know, people have valuable homes now. Yeah. And everything that BAR offers has to be sold. So perhaps we need to be better salesmen. But, you know, we invested very heavily in self storage. And although you know, Fox might be quite a big deal in the uh, BAR. As far as the self-storage association is concerned, we are very small players indeed. But these people are in it to establish substantial businesses and do well themselves. Yeah. And I think as far as the removal industry is concerned, we bring a lot, lot more to the table than self-storage operations. And we should aspirationally, you know, look to achieve those sort of facilities, premises, and personal reward.
0: Yep. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off, Paul? Do you ever switch off?
1: I do. um, I try and discipline myself. You know, when we had a young family, I realised I wasn't ever going to be a motorcycle champion. uh, (laughs) And and work uh, work sort of took over. So long-distance running marathons and what have you was my thing at the time, which was, I think, good for the body, you know, good for the soul. Unfortunately, sort of, it's not very good for your joints. (laughs) (laughs) I took up cycling and triathlons and things like that. So I'm a frustrated sportsman. (laughs) I've never really had the time to to pursue sport to a level. But I, I still, even now, I, you know, I I still cycle regularly, swim, what have you. I still maintain high level. What I would say is sort of high levels of fitness. You know, which is important to me. I think because it just keeps you sharp and allows you to take on quite quite a heavy workload. At home, I live in a barn conversion. Um, We've got a couple of fields. There's plenty to do there. Cheryl's mum and dad live in a cottage next door, so we're very family orientated. As I say, we have four children, and I have have three young grandchildren. Um, So, yeah, we we were sort of seven o'clock this morning, myself and Cheryl, having a cup of tea, looking out over the uh, lovely Gwent countryside, and (laughs) thinking, (laughs) we really just we really just need to do a little bit less.
0: Yeah, and more of that. Drinking your tea, look, looking over that Gwent yeah, countryside, yeah, or,
1: or even something a little bit stronger, maybe later in the day. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and finally, I like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell?
1: I probably have more uh, stories than uh, than we would ever have time to recount, and, <laughs> and,
0: and,
1: and many of them would actually be embarrassing and shameful. <laughs> so um obviously as far as this industry is concerned it's bound to turn up circumstances a lot of them are a, a bit like a bad dream and i'll tell you i'll tell you one when i was very young probably only 16 years of age and uh and i i was dispatched as a porter to um to belgium and to holland to do a trip the driver was graham williams he was a strong hard man an ex-scaffolder didn't take any nonsense. Off we went in a brand new Bedford, UED331S, and uh, it was a, it was an integral, so it had a sleeper cab. And off we went into Belgium, discharged a load into Holland to collect the load. And there was a piano there. And I was struggling to, we didn't have a piano trolley, If snow was down. So Graham said, oh, don't worry, the Continentals do it with big straps. So we rigged up some webbing, and then lifted. Was by then outside of the house, and we lifted it with these straps, and it swung like a pendulum, and <laughs> ended up headfirst in the garden in the deep snow. Oh no! Because it was snow, obviously it was recoverable, so we managed to get it on the vehicle and what have you. And <laughs> it's one of those nightmare scenarios, uh, but it did actually happen. We took the vehicle. Then by which time it was dark, got stuck underneath a bridge. I remember the big rivets being stuck on the top of the fiberglass van. We let the tires down. We got out of that, and we eventually parked up. And Graham said, "Where are you going?" Well, I said, "Well, I'm going to sleep across the sleeps, and you have got the bunk." And he said, no, "No, this is my cab. You get in the back." So I made myself a bed in the back, and uh, and woke up at sort of three o'clock in the morning with frozen hair. Uh, <laughs> came around to the cabin. Begged uh, admittance to, to save my life. <laughs> the other um, episodes, I, I suppose, it, uh, were part and parcel of the uh, Institute of study tour, and you've been along to enough conferences and, and what have you. And, and um, you know, we do let our hair down. We do probably drink too much, but we get up the following morning and we do the business and what have you. But the the Institute study tour to uh, to Europe in 1987, and I, I've got a photograph here actually, and I can see the faces, you know, looking down. <laughs> Paul Travers, Steve Walton, Michael Gerson, George Taylor, Brian, I can see there, Neil Hambridge, Rob Sires, Delmy old Fred Baxter, uh, Mark Neve, John Luxford. Um, so we were quite a, you know, it was quite a crowd and we had a great time. We learned a lot, but we went to Frankfurt and we were entertained. And their idea of entertaining was to send us to this, from the hotel, we went on a bus and they sent us to this hall and they just had a, a beer tap in the centre with a lady serving very strong German beer. And that's all she'd done all night. She just poured beer. And we mingled and drank lots of beer and, and what have you. And at the end of it, everybody was absolutely K-like. which um, <laughs> is not surprising. You, in those days, you, your pint of Albright was 3% proof or what have you. Well, this stuff was rocket
2: fuel. Um,
1: <laughs> and for one reason or another, I missed the coach. And I was left out on the street, coached gone, and I just saw it was going in one direction. I thought, okay, that's fine. And to my shame, I saw a bicycle which wasn't locked up. <laughs> I'll, I'll cycle. I'll cycle home. <laughs> I stayed on the footpaths, and it was early. It was February, I think, or what have you. You know, northern Germany. Well, it, it is snow and ice, isn't there that time? So I <laughs> came an almighty cropper. And ended up ended up in the woodland on the side, and just sort of gazing up through the trees, and just wondering whether I was still alive or not. Eventually, I did. Man, I don't know how, but I did manage to cycle back to the hotel, and they, the guys, true to form, were still in the bar. They welcomed me back, and then the following morning, when I'd gone on the coach, they're all saying, "Oh, look, there's Foxy's bike outside." <laughs> bit, bit of a shameful, bit of a, dream, bit of a episode ah um,
0: oh, brilliant but, brilliant
1: okay um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one more yeah and that was 1988 uh, mike Devereux is a great guy a real oh, absolutely a, a, a real tough i wouldn't call him a geordie that would upset him <laughs> uh, northeaster anyway he led the study tour and it was great and we're all having a good time or what have you and um during the course of the day as is my nature I, I was giving a little bit of a hard time and teasing him and what have you and um he took it all in, took took it all on board, until twelve o'clock, uh, where we'd all retired for the night. And Mike Devereaux, I said, "All right, Foxy, you got a drink?" I <laughs> oh, said, "Not really." He said, "You've got a mini bar, so in he came with his underpants <laughs> on. All right, took <laughs> the underpants on. We went drink for drink, and he proceeded to empty my mini bar.
2: Oh um, my word.
1: And then when I was just absolutely totally useless and paralyzed, (laughs) he then sort of said, right, he said, don't mess me around anymore. (laughs) And the following following morning, I just remember going down. I couldn't even face a glass of water, and and Mike was hugging into a hearty breakfast. He said, all right, Foxy?
0: (laughs) 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 A lesson learned there.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, Paul, thank you very much for giving up your time this morning. I truly appreciate it.
1: I appreciate the opportunity and uh, I also really enjoy your previous podcasts.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate that.
1: Okay. Thanks, Colin.
0: I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 25 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice. And please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Paul Fox of Fox Group Moving and Storage for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Paul. If you would like to know more about Fox Group Moving and Storage and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Paul was instrumental in putting together a book simply called Pantechnica, A history of removals and storage through the evolution of its vehicles, which I have mentioned in the past episode and highly recommend. To order your copy, please contact the BAR, with all proceeds going to the RBA, the Remover's Benevolent Association, a wonderful and worthwhile charity for the industry. And please... If you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners, or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me, so until next time, keep moving.